where are you, God? I feel like I need you more than ever, but you feel so silent to me. And it's counterintuitive because I think people will be like, you can't demand that of God. But there's this simple phrase that David writes in the Psalms, and it says, Stories stir the soul. Stories reveal. And stories heal. In this podcast, we will give you an inside look at someone who's had a life-changing breakthrough. Real people, real stories with real breakthroughs. As a health and wellness expert and coach and Todd as a men's mentor, we've seen firsthand what God can do when it comes to a breakthrough. So lean in, listen well. This could be your biggest breakthrough. Hey there, and welcome to Your Biggest Breakthrough. I'm your host, Wendy Pett. And I'm Todd Isburner. Yeah. What do you do if you have a family member that you are navigating limitations mm. and extra needs with that family member? Our guest today is going to be sharing her journey with autism with her son and her and her husband's journey with autism and how they've had to navigate those, those tough moments. Well, here's the reality. Uh, and most of us don't realize this if we haven't yet experienced it at some point in life, we'll be called upon to be a caregiver, right? It might be something simple. It might be something as drastic as what Tani faced, but guaranteed there are things that go a lot further beyond what we're able to see in the present moment. And you're going to learn what that's all about. Oh man, you're going to be so inspired and just in awe of just her, the way she's so profound in her words. And so Tani Cullen is our guest and she is co-author of the book, Josiah's Fire. Autism stole his word. God gave him a voice and is currently a full-time homeschooling mom and care and caregiver to her son, Josiah, who is now 17 years old. Tani has been a conference speaker and worked for 13 years at a large church in the Twin Cities, Minnesota area as communications director and ministry director. And also she is a licensed pastor enjoy this program. We know you will. Welcome, Tani Cullen, to Your Biggest Breakthrough. We are so delighted that you're here. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. So good. You've got a great book. I got to mention that right at the outset here. Josiah's Fire. So good. It came out a few years ago, but I started reading about a year ago. Just a great story with tremendous lessons. So I want everybody to grab a copy of that. But listen, you, among other things, you have become probably unknowingly, an expert in caregiving. And we're going to get into the details of how that happened. But let's go right to the heart of the story with your son, Josiah. When did you first discover that he had autism? And then when that discovery took place, what was your initial reaction to it? Sure. We had our little boy, Josiah, and we named him Josiah because it meant fire of the Lord. And we love that. And hence the book title, Josiah's Fire. Okay, (laughs) that's where that comes from. And so we had an uneventful pregnancy and Josiah was born and was happy and healthy. And he was meeting all of his medical milestones. Up to the point about 19 months old, we started seeing like something was off. And then very quickly, he started losing skills that he had gained. He stopped looking at us when we talked with him. It's like he wasn't paying attention, you know, to us. He would, instead of playing with toys appropriately, he would turn them over and kind of spin the wheels. He was really into patterns and wheels and that sort of thing. And all of a sudden, it just felt like we were losing him. I remember putting a blanket over my head and his and just trying to connect with him. 
And that just had not been the case up to that point. So it was a very quick and abrupt shift in him. And as parents, we know every freckle, we know every mole, we know how our kids are. And this was a definite shift. And he had been going to daycare and stuff as well. And they hadn't seen any issues leading up to it. And then it just, everything fell apart for us. So of course we went to the doctor and tried to get a diagnosis of what was going on. And beyond the, he's a boy, they might develop a little later. Let's wait six months. My mommy gut was saying, or what's the other alternative? Because I, if there's something wrong, we really, I want to get on it. After several months of tests, we finally were put in a boardroom after two days of intensive testing. And I just very specifically remember them giving us a folder and I opened up the folder and they revealed what I already knew in my heart was true after researching. It said, autism spectrum disorder, and I'll never forget these words, no known cause, no known cure, lifelong. And it felt like at that moment, a gavel had come down. A sentence was passed on the life of our two-year-old little curly-headed blonde boy. And it was really at that time as I'm absorbing and my husband and I are absorbing all this, they put the Kleenex box in the middle of the table like they're prepared. I just remember as a mother and as a Christ follower, the thought that came to my mind was, where is hope when there is no hope? Now what do we even do? Other things that have come had come into our lives had come and gone with some closure. Sometimes those were deaths that were difficult, but you grieve and you move forward. And this was going to be a whole different ballgame. This was going to change the trajectory of our lives forever. Yeah. I know someone listening right now is hearing uh, just the tone in your voice and hearing your story and they're saying, whoa, that's what we experienced too. And Todd's yeah, son. I, I'm just, <laughs> yes, yeah, as you're telling the story, I'm reliving the experience of my grandson, my, my daughter's second born. And he's now 26. Very, yeah, he's now 26, but very similar initial wonderings. What is changing here? How come we can't connect? And then that's, that, that same feeling that you've just described. We're Christ followers. We know God has a plan, but where do we go now? Everything's going to change. How do we get started? And where did you and your husband start the journey? How did you begin to find out what? We well, I threw myself into every kind of, of studying and books and trying to figure out what we could do. There was this fabled five-year window that was kind of like, if you don't catch them within five years, so early intervention, all of that. And at that time, what's interesting is the autism rate was one in 150. And so my son's 17 today. So 15 years ago, it was one in 150. Today, it's one in 32. So we're really talking about a lot of families dealing with this. Immediately, we got Josiah into a therapy program that was 40 hours a week. A little two-year-old, basically a full-time job of trying to learn how to play and learn how to develop speech. He had speech and then he consist consistently was losing the words that he had. And just intensive behavioral therapy and things. And what was really hard is even after all of this effort, all of this work, 
we get to the point where Josiah hits that five-year mark and we're sitting in another boardroom at his therapy center and they say, this is really hard to say, but we feel like it's time that we need to stop pursuing speech and start pursuing Josiah communicating with maybe just pictures because it seems like he's going to be one of the 40% of people with autism who will never speak. And then you get, and we got an addendum kind of to that autism diagnosis as he got older, and it was severe. It was low functioning. It was nonverbal. And it felt like another wave of grief and fear. And okay, now what do we do? (laughs) So I got to ask you, and I know those listening might be questioning, and we don't have to go into this too much, but it is the hot topic, right? Inoculations, right? Mm -hmm. This something that was in the picture and that was what triggered that you believe to be triggered for Josiah? Given his, I don't have a specific one day he had the inoculation, the next day he had, but we did have a series of events where he had the MR at 18 months and then he did have pink eye, double pink eye, and then he had a rash. And then so there was some immune system stuff going on in hindsight around that time. And then we had, he had all of a sudden had developed gut issues. And of course we went on the gluten-free, dairy-free diet and all of those things. But all of that stuff that wasn't present before started this cascading. I don't know. There's always a question. There's always the difficulty of not knowing. And then as Josiah got older, we had a period of time in his teen years when he had eight rounds of strep throat that was was presenting in a way that was not the normal symptoms that you would have like cold and stuff like that but it inflamed his brain so there was really there's really an obvious immunity piece to it autoimmunity piece almost that i think is present for him but yeah. I don't have any. I just had to ask. But just because and, and the reality is just like you got the initial diagnosis, known cause. And what do you do with that? Okay. So there's no known cause. So we have to deal with what there is. And so as you started to deal with what there is, how did you go about learning to understand Josiah's world and finding ways then to help him tap into his strengths and his self-worth? Right. Because that would be a huge challenge. How did you go about starting your way there? Like I said, I was really a perfectionist, a type A personality, very driven, a career woman as well. So both of us were working full time, my husband and I. And we also have this child that essentially every second feels like it's important. So you feel like you have to be doing all these therapies that they're doing 40 hours a week. You're having to do at home too. You're having to deal with the sleeping issue, the not sleeping issue, which has been like all his life, difficulty with sleep and and all of those things. But I did everything to research and you almost feel like all your resources start burning out really fast financially. And maybe you physically get on burn your marriage, spiritually, emotionally, yourself, all of that. Everything just starts flaming out 
because you just don't have enough resources. And then it's a strange thing with autism because it's where you're used to like putting the effort in. And if you were looking at a graph, progress looks like this. I remember a psychologist drawing for us what autism progress looks like. And they drew just like this mess of a, of a hairball, basically the ups and the downs and the fragmented skills and all of that. So it is very stressful. Where we really had a turning point was I had a friend who said, have you seen the documentary, A Mother's Courage? And I was like, no. And they're like, there, there's a boy on there that presents a lot like your son, non-speaking. He learned how to spell and be able to communicate through spelling on a letter board, alphabetical letter board. I watched that video and it talked about a whole lot of different therapeutic interventions. But there was this one part that showed that. And I said, I have to get that for my son. And so at that point, I started doing research, knowing that he could travel in an airplane. Like, what are our options? It just so happened that the one place that was doing this, it was called the rapid prompting method, was in Texas. But that woman had created an apprentice program. And one of the women that apprenticed under the founder of this method for her own son who had autism and then she was teaching others, lived in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So I was able to take Josiah for four days initially to Green Bay, Wisconsin. And we had these sessions and you go just thinking, I don't even know what to expect. Like maybe this won't work for him. And at that point he was only six years old. And, and of course I get food poisoning the night before. Interesting. Yeah. I, like whenever you're going for something good, it seems like there's every kind of chaotic thing that happens to almost try to stop you stop from you. going. But I'm like, I'm going, I am pressing through. It was there that, uh, for the first time, first of all, the woman who was doing the doing the lessons, she said, first of all, I want you to presume competence and treat him as if he is age level. Mm. So good. That changed yes. me mm. because I had only been her told, treat them like they're toddlers. That's their mindset. Speak very few words. Touch red circle. <laughs> everything had to be very simple. All the things that you read to them had to be very simple. But she's no, she gets a lesson plan out and starts teaching about photosynthesis and starts teaching about these things and starts asking him these questions, giving him choices. And then she's, okay, let's spell that. And he's answering the questions right. And he's showing that he's in there. So that was the first moment where like, oh, He's in there because we didn't know even receptively what he knew and what he was absorbing because he just couldn't express himself. He couldn't show it. So I think that is really something that a lot of people believe about autism is that it is a cognitive disability. And I think as time is going on, scientists, neuroscientists are finding that language is in one part of the brain and speech is in the other. And especially those that are nonverbal, people think that they don't interpret language properly and have language skills. And many of them are able to read and you don't even know it because they've learned. They're learning all along 
But a lot of people just don't think they have any of those capabilities. And I think people are getting more and more educated as autism is coming more to the forefront and just the the evidence of what you're saying right here. But I even think of Cody Lee from America's Got Talent, right? Yes, and right. Just how amazing he was and he won it all. And anyway, it's just amazing to me that, yeah, they're not just a shell of a being. They are high functioning, but in different capacities and different ways yes. that they hear things and see things and operate. And so in, in Josiah's case, what was the, that's like a big breakthrough right there. Yeah. Like, what did you discover as you kept working with Josiah yeah. that was just like, oh, thank you, Lord. So of course we came home and we're continuing to work with this. And for me, he was like, I'm trying to pick him up from under the table. I'm trying to do these lessons and you want to quit because it's hard and he's not being cooperative and all of these things. But I said, I'm going to do at least three 25 minute lessons a week with him. I don't care if I have to like, just keep dragging him back to the chair, dragging him back to the chair. I'm going to, and I thank goodness I did. But for about a year, it was just really rough. And I kept thinking, I'm teaching him how to spell. But the reality is that a year later, we did a fresh, freshen up workshop with this same person who came to the Twin Cities this time for a couple of families. And she showed me there were some things that I was doing wrong. And he, for the first time during that session, showed that he was able to independently spell the letter brown. She, what color would you want the car to be? And he spells out brown. That was new. Okay, one month later from that point, I am doing a lesson with him at the table. And I actually was picking out a story from the children's Bible. And it was about how Jesus healed the blind man. So this is a teach-ask thing. You read the short lesson and then you say, Josiah, Jesus healed the blind man. What did Jesus do? Did he H-E-A-L heal the blind man or P-L-A-Y play with the blind man? You write that on a piece of paper, rip the paper in half, tap on heal, tap on play. He chose the paper that said heal. I said, okay, let's spell heal. Now we had these letter boards, but we also at that time had a, an iPad. He had really taken to the iPad, which was really new at that time. But I was one of the first ones to go, that's going to work for kids with autism because we had these little iPod touches that he was really drawn to. We also had this letter board on the iPad. And so he goes to spell what would be appropriately heal. And he spells G. And then he taps O. I'm like, go? He goes on to spell his first ever independent sentence, no spaces or anything. God is a good gift giver. Oh, my goodness. Wow. He's seven years oh, old at this that must point. Have blown you away. And I was like, did I just crack? <laughs> did, did I? Uh, it's finally happened. That, oh, that could have really happened. Mm. And I was like, just like, yes, God oh, is God. a good giver. But again, that's, those aren't words that we're using. That's not, this was a totally independent thing that he's writing. And I'm like, God is a good gift giver, but like, how do you, you know that? Were you just crying? I, oh, I was, I was shocked. I was hot. I, and then he goes on to spell a number of things, which we talk about in our book. But one of them was God is very capable. And my husband was out of town that weekend, but I call him up and I'm like, you will not believe this. I'm talking to all my family. And I'm like, this just happened. I'm thinking actually at this point, God's healing Josiah right now. You know what I mean? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> but, but he started, he 
for the first time, I'm able to know what's your favorite color? What food do you like to eat? Do you like it? You're getting to know your child for the very first time. And of course, I just pummeled him with questions. But that's when communication started opening. But then as time continued on, he would start sharing stuff that was like, wait a second, how do you know this? What are you, where are you getting this from? And one of the things that he wrote was, faith is picture it done. That is exactly right. Or you would write these little proverbs that would be like, faith is believing for kites to fly when there's no wind in sight. No way. Come on. That's so fantastic. I was going to ask you, because these are breakthroughs that bring you a tremendous amount of encouragement, even to the point of thinking, maybe God is healing him fully. Nevertheless, even with those ups and the hope and the signs of encouragement, you still have to be a caregiver. Yes. You still have to pay attention to so many things that so many others don't have to ever think about in regards to their children. So here's what I want to just find out from you, because being a caregiver, a lot of times happens to people when they're blindsided, something occurs, they don't realize, okay, this is going to change my life. I now have to spend it differently in giving care. For example, you're not only giving care to your son during these formative years. Now your mother is diagnosed with stage four cancer. You're having to be a caregiver for her all at the same time as we're headed into the pandemic. I cannot imagine the level of stress and what it would take to be that kind of a caregiver. How in the world do you handle that and give some words of encouragement to those who are just facing that now and don't know how they're going to handle that? Yes. Fast forward a number of years. And of course, Josiah, we're seeing wonderful things and he's sharing wonderful things and is a poet. And I'm trying to really homeschool him because the public school really would not take to this and would not help with this. So I'm trying to homeschool him on the side doing this. In the meantime, he's really locked in at school. So there's the difficulty of all that and then puberty and all of those things. And like I said, today he's 17, but he had this period of time where he was really physically becoming ill again. And it was about that time we get the call from my mother, who we were very close. She tells me that she's been diagnosed with stage four cancer. Now, she had a little bout of breast cancer, but had come through it. And this was metastatic breast cancer, and it was in her bones. It was all throughout her body, and there was no cure. And that was just, whoa. <laughs> because my mother was my my mentor, my spiritual teacher, my soft place to land, my intercessor, praying grandma for sure. <laughs> That was just like, whoa, how can we do this without her? And then I need to be there for her. She has been there for me. How can we be there for her? She was living out in Washington at the time. My dad died several years back. She had remarried. Her other husband had died too. And so my husband and I talked it over. That's a difficult decision to make as a family. But mom, would you come live with us so I can take care of you? in our home, in our basement, and we'll create a space for you down there. And so she came to live with us. (laughs) Sorry, it's so emotional. 
she came to live with us. And wow, as a caregiver. And there are about 60 million caregivers in the United States right now that care for someone that's either a disabled child or a disabled adult to parents and senior adults. That's a lot of people. And then there's that sandwich generation, it's called, where you're about your late 30s and your 40s, and you're caring for younger children and you're caring for older adults. And what does that do to you as a caregiver? You really do feel pulled in two. And literally our home felt like a visual representation of how I was feeling pulled in two because my son was upstairs and he was just sick repeatedly upstairs in his room. And literally right below him in the guest room downstairs, my mother is in the hospital bed and I'm running up and down and up and down between them. And But there was something profound about that period of time. Had my mom for about a year before she passed and so thankful I was able to care for her to the end, to the very end. And right as the pandemic had, had come on and it was really like the hospice nurses were like, here's the bag of morphine. We'll see you on Thursday. I'm like, what? <laughs> I like, wait, but it's amazing because you don't realize who you can be and what you can become when you have to. You don't know the strength that you actually have. And of love, of love, or that you'll do anything. You'll do anything to help a child become who it is that God has called them to become. You'll do anything to remove any obstacle that you can. And with great worth and dignity placed on that life, and on the other hand, too, for your parents, for your for an adult family member, you'll do anything to give the honor and respect and dignity so that their exodus out of this world back into the world beyond in eternity is as beautiful as it can be. And that was the biggest privilege of my life. And to have my mother in my home and represent this multi-generational living experience, even for a year, where we're praying for one another, we're speaking into one another's lives. It was the most sacred and scary and messy and beautiful and ordered time of my life all at once. And it was so powerful in that I think I really had to come to a point where I had to learn how to discern when things were before me and I was feeling overwhelmed with every kind of care that comes up and every issue that comes up where you have to get quiet with yourself and with the Lord and say, what are we really dealing with here? Is this medical slash physical? Is this an emotional thing? Is this a spiritual attack? Because that comes too when things get crazy and you're just like, this doesn't even make sense. How can all of these things go wrong at once and just start feeling like the squeeze, right? And to just stop and say, God, you have to show me what I'm dealing with here and how 
I can take the next step. Those are things that are only forged in the foxholes mm. of life. Yeah. So beautiful, Tani. And as my friend that I've known for so many years, I just, I admire you so much. You're so precious to me. And I think of all that you've been through and the strength that God has given you to get through this and how your story and your perseverance and your tenacity for your son and for your mother, how it is just a blessing for all of us to witness and to see and just the ministry of your life is a beautiful story. So thank you. Thank you. But I think about these caregivers, right? 60 million. Yeah. So let's talk about the importance of caring for yourself as the caregiver, because that's a big yeah, one. Absolutely. Because you're precious and we need the caregivers to step up and not try to push our loved ones off to somebody else. So let's talk about that. Yeah, it is a very difficult thing because your own self-care does seem to go to the back burner when you're just mm -hmm. trying to care for everybody else. And I think that every caregiver will say that's true. And then you have things that are out of your control, like the sleeping thing or having to get up in the middle of the night and care for somebody. And when you're like, but you're supposed to be getting eight to nine hours of sleep a night. You know, yeah, <laughs> what no yeah. <laughs> it, it just won't happen. And turning to coping mechanisms, whether it be food. For me, it was food. For others, it's alcohol or sleeping pills or drugs. Any of those things, we can turn to coping mechanisms, basically, because you're looking for comfort. Right. Because life is really stressful. And you know where the comfort really is. Exactly. And there's this piece that I think is sometimes missing in what we learn about, even in church or whatever, and that's strengthening yourself in the Lord. Yeah. How do you strengthen yeah. yourself in the Lord? Because there will be these dark nights of the soul where you're alone in your house. It's the middle of the night. And there is no friend to reach out to and there's nobody coming <laughs> and you have got to do it there's no hiding from it it's before you and what are you going to do you can't fall apart you can't go into a depression you can't lift put the covers over your head like I mean, you, you want can, you can choose you to, can but, you but everything not. will fall apart exactly <laughs> everything right. will fall apart so it's really, how do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? Right. How do you hear from the Lord to be able to even get, the, there, there's a scripture that I say often when I'm feeling like, where are you, God? I feel like I need you more than ever, but you feel so silent to me. And it, it's simple and it's counterintuitive because I think people will be like, you can't demand that of God. But there's this simple phrase that David writes in the Psalms, and it says, show me a sign of your favor. Show me that I am your friend and that you care. And it's, it, it is in those little things where I feel like the Holy Spirit has really done that, where it might be something small that strengthens you with a joyful thing. It might be something that just gives you that inner joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You can't hopscotch to just get the strength. 
It's the joy that you're going for that is the strength. And joy is really something that can be dwindled down pretty quick as a caregiver because, again, you're just, it's stress. You're having to perform for others. But where is that joy? All right, honey, the stress and just the angst of just being a caregiver can just put a lot of weight on a relationship. How has that been in your marriage? Well, I think the biggest difficulty is, especially during the pandemic, we lost caregiving staff as well. So the staffing shortage that we're all finding in many areas, that really has affected people who come in and do personal care. And where we were trying to get our date nights in once a week or something like that, that's the preferred at least. We really didn't have that. And we're not in a place where we have family around. We moved away from family and stuff like that. So it is very difficult to maintain just couple time, just only couple time. <laughs> and having my husband just took a vacation alone. And so you have to do things separately. So that can be difficult. We do the best we can in being able to do things together as a family or have those bits of time here and there where we can watch something together, watch TV together, or have a little date night if Josiah fell asleep early or something like that. But, well, know you know, you there were times. Yes, we have a strong marriage. I'm so thankful. I have a very supportive husband that has been very faithful and very supportive of the things that we've done with Josiah. Well, that's helpful. Yeah, I was but, say uh, it is it is a strain on a marriage. It sure. absolutely is. And you have to work at it together. And uh, and I think part of it is just also maintaining a sense of humor. That's really gotten yes. us through mm. a lot of things is our humor and and to find those common things that you just enjoy and love and do them even as an entire family. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, and that's I think good. working together, that's so key when you're both on the same team with the same mission and the same goal, then you don't get lopsided. And so you're each supporting one another while your focus really is on the one you're giving care to. But what else do you need around you? Talk a little bit about the importance maybe of having supportive relationships outside your marriage which I realize can also be a two-way street, but maybe talk about that and how that occurred in your life. Well, I think it's really important. I've come to find that it is imperative to always have someone who's older than you or a group of women that are older than you that have experienced that are these spiritual mothers that you can reach one hand out to that that you can that they can identify with you. I had one lady who was a mentor to me and her husband had early onset Alzheimer's. And it was amazing because we really connected that there were a lot of things that she was dealing with her husband that I was dealing with my son just on the different age continuum. And so I think it's always important to have these people in your life whether they, whether if you're a man, have older men in your life. If you're a woman, have older women in your life that you can look to. And then I think it's important to have your peers that you're walking through the same thing together, but also other peers that are not dealing with the same thing as you. I have found some great friends that are, that understand my life, 
but they're not also going through the same thing with me. I think it's important to have those friends too, but it can be difficult to feel like you're always shouldering the same thing together. Whereas if you have friends that don't have those same issues, but understand your life and can also give prayer support. I have had such great friends that give encouragement and prayer support that they themselves don't have children with autism. So that's been very helpful to have someone on a peer level. And then I think it's always important to be pouring out to someone that's younger than you or that you might be ahead of that they're going through something. I, I always try to be helpful if people are like, oh, I know somebody whose child just got diagnosed or they need help. They're really struggling. I can go and say, hey, I've been there. And here are some things I would tell my younger self, knowing what I know now. And I'm going to tell it to you so that you don't have to, you yeah, don't have to bear this. And yeah. so we can build on each other's ceilings mm. instead of having to start from the rubble. That's beautiful. <laughs> I love that. I love that. We so appreciate mm. having you on, Tani. You're so special and your story is special. Josiah is amazing. And your book, Josiah's Fire, is incredible. Yeah. And so your main purpose for getting this book out was what was what were you hoping that people would really get from this book? I thought that the book would really connect with other people who had children with autism or special needs. Surprisingly, that was just a small fraction of the people that really did glean from it and take take from it from the audience point of view from the reader's point of view it really opened up this understanding through this vessel that god is a god who sees us and that we can invite him in to our everyday lives and that there is this spiritual supernatural world that all of heaven and is really oriented and turned toward what's going on down here on earth until, you know, the redemption of Jesus Christ. They care about us down here. That's God cares about us. Jesus yeah. cares about us. Those that have gone on before us, our cloud of witnesses, care about what is going on with us down on this earth. And that veil seems a lot thinner, I think, for people. And so I think there's this idea that through this book and how God has used an unlikely person, he uses those things that are simple to confound the wise. And I think that's really been something that has come forward in what Josiah has shared about things about heaven, wisdom that has not been taught to him. And it has certainly opened my eyes and my understanding to a God that is active, is involved, and hears us when we pray. And so, you know, there's Josiah's fire, but then also a book came out called Jesus, Josiah, and Me by Max Davis. And this is a very interesting kind of follow-up book from a different angle where it says, how my supernatural encounter with an autistic boy revealed the wonder of God's presence and how that has affected his life and many others where, again, it's leading our story and Josiah's life is leading people into a relationship with the with God who wants to be a father to us and Jesus who wants to be 
the love of our lives and the Holy Spirit who wants to help us. And I really think that is what has come across. And in it, I do hope and I do know that there are people who are knowing that they can reach their children with autism or their students with autism and know that they're in there and that they have dreams and they have values and help to bring them out of these cages and help them to express themselves. God has a special plan for their lives. And since the book came out, we've met, I have about 25, 30 families who have contacted me and said, our story is your story. And so we've made these friends that have children that have started to communicate in the same way and are very much very spiritual children and poetic in the very same way. God is doing something. And I really think, too, that the church needs to be aware and understand God is doing something with the most unlikely people. And he's trying to speak through people that you may not think would be worthy of being heard from. Yeah. So pay attention. Pay attention. That's profound. Good That's, way to nah, those are good words. My word. Thank you. Thank wow. you, Tani. And those of you listening, you can check out Josiah's Fire Facebook page and also get the book on Amazon. But definitely, it's a great read. And please get the book. Thank you, my dear friend, Tani, for being with us. God bless you. Bless you. Thank and you. we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take Thank care. Thank you so much. Thanks. I just love having Tani on the show today. Her story is, I've known her for so long, but, and I know her story and I still tear up because yeah. it's just such, well, it's just goes, so much God, there's so much Jesus in the story. Yes. Right? It goes way beyond yeah. just being a caregiver yeah. for someone with autism. There are so many life principles that apply to each area of our lives. If we'll just open ourselves up to where God is at in all of it. Yeah. And I want to encourage you to get that book and and just and follow along with her story because you're going to learn a lot mm, for your own life. Definitely. And go back and listen to those last words she said. Be prepared because God is using those that you may not be expecting yeah. to hear a word from to hear his words. All right. God blessings. And we'll catch you next time on Your Biggest Breakthrough. Head on over to yourbiggestbreakthrough.com where you'll find some free resources and information and a place where you can comment and we would love to dialogue with you there. So thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.